Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan Lavoy. I'm the host of this show, and I've got Brooks Childress and Brant Daughtry with me here on this Thursday afternoon. A lot to talk about in the sports world. Of course, we're going to talk about last night's loss for Auburn basketball, and uh, it's one of those do we have to, yes, we do have to uh, things as Texas A&M defeated Auburn last night inside of Neville Arena 79-63. to so we will recap that game. Start to look ahead a little bit towards the SEC Big 12 Challenge, Auburn and West Virginia. Today's show is a full show. However, tomorrow's show will be shortened. So we're going to start previewing, again, that Auburn-West Virginia matchup and also uh, start to look ahead towards the AFC and NFC Championship games this weekend as well. Also, some uh, fun topics to talk about in the sports world about uh, payments that were made to Brian Kelly that were a little bit of excessive huh. uh, and just some other fun sports topics throughout the day as well. Again, Ryan Brooks and Brant with you here on the program today. Start with you, Brooks. Uh, good to see you again, sir. And uh, obviously a tough one inside of Neville Arena last night, but uh, good to have you back on the program. Yeah, and uh, you know, you, you look at this Auburn team. I, they're still a good, a good basketball team. They're still you know on track for an NCAA tournament appearance. Uh, Texas A&M is a good basketball team too. They only had one conference loss coming into last night. That was Kentucky over the weekend. And you know, if they'd won that Kentucky game this past weekend, they would have probably been uh, ranked last night going into this one. There's a good chance. You know, uh, they've got what Vanderbilt coming into their place next. Uh, it's their next game. So a win against a ranked Auburn, a win against over Vanderbilt, you could see them get back in that conversation and get ranked next week. Uh, for in the A people, they may start. Or it, it may just be receiving votes, but they get back in that conversation. That's a good Texas A&M team. Uh, if this was a you know because of the net rankings, um, it's all, everything's kind of weird. But if this was a Texas A&M home game, that would have been a quad one opponent for Auburn uh, because it was an Auburn home game. It was a quad two opponent, but still, uh, Texas A&M, a good basketball team. Um, Auburn had uh, played played fine. Uh, Janai Broom and Wendell Green again carried the team, 16 points apiece for both of them. Uh, but they, Auburn just didn't really have an answer for uh, Tyrese Radford. He had 30 points last night. Eight for 17 field goal percentage, three of seven from three-point land. He made 11 of his 12 uh, free throws. So, you know, and he, he's, he was a good player. You know, you, you look at him, I, I think a lot of people would would be in the, around the Southeastern Conference would uh, – you know, would not argue with you if you said he was one of the top young young players in the conference this year. And, you know, Texas A&M basketball seems to uh, be one of those teams that when Auburn and Bruce Pearl plays them, they, you know, not can't always figure them out. 
Uh, there's a couple teams like that around the conference. Florida's one of them. Auburn got the best of Florida this year. Um, you know, it, on the road at Vanderbilt seems to be a you know a, a trouble for everybody up until this year. Uh, um, again, on the road at Ole Miss is always a place that kind of baffles these Bruce Pearl teams. But Texas A&M is one of those teams that kind of steps, uh, you know, they, they step up and it, it they can be hard to figure out at times. Uh, but Buzz Williams has got a good team down there in College Station. Auburn's got some stuff to work on. Bruce Pearl said that uh, last night, and he said it again today in his uh, preview for the West Virginia Presser. Um, he also, you know, said this is the ver- the start of probably uh, the toughest twelve to thirteen games in his coaching career. Uh, and I think that that was a dir- one of a direct quote from today's uh, media availability that he had this afternoon with some of the beat writers. And so this is that you know. It's it's a tough schedule. The SEC is a tough place to play. You're not going to win them all. Basketball, we you know we've said it hundreds of times on this pro- very program. Basketball is a weird sport. You could be the number one team in the country and lose on your home court to Temple, i.e. Houston, this past weekend, or you could roll out there like Gonzaga usually does and run through your conference every single year. It's just it it's a weird sport. Things can happen. Auburn basketball is is okay because they're not it's not time to hit any sort of panic button they are okay got some things to work on but they've had some things to work on all year long and it's it's not time to hit the panic button auburn auburn's gonna be fine you got to turn your heads now and look at that west virginia team coming up this weekend because that's a very important game in terms of uh you know getting momentum back in your favor and it's a very important team when you're trying to resume build for March. Yeah, thank you for coming to uh, Brooks's TED Talk. <laughs> uh, if you missed that, go check it out on the Sports Call podcast by Coca-Cola. Brant Daughtry also on the program today. Brant, good to see you again, sir. Yeah, man, glad to be here. Uh, yeah, I think it was just an ugly game last night. Uh, you you kind of beat up on the le- on the lesser half of the SEC uh, for for a, a couple of weeks there. Uh, Auburn did, and then last night you kind of went back to the upper echelon. Texas A&M is now in sole possession of second place in the conference. That's a pretty good team, uh, like Brooks said. I think they're going to be in the top 25 here pretty quickly. I think they're a top 50 team for sure uh, in all of basketball. So they come in and they they executed very well, shot very well from three, especially early in that game. Shot shot above their season average for sure. Uh, not just from three, but their entire field goal percentage. Tyrese Radford is a guy who's gone off for 25 or 30 a couple of times this year. His average is about 12, but he has shown that he can explode at any given time. And last night, he exploded. He had a great game, and uh, Auburn didn't really have an answer for him. I think you're, you're going to have to find that balance between beating up on bad teams and competing with good teams. Last, uh, Auburn has been beating bad teams, which is what good teams do. Auburn has gone on the road and beaten really bad teams. Last night you hosted a good team, and it looked like you were a little bit shell shocked. Um, just Jalen Williams didn't have an offensive night that you're used to. I think Zepp Zasper took more shots than Jalen Williams, and that's something that, as much as I love Zepp and I want him to get his shots up because I think he's a better offensive player than people give him credit for. Jalen Williams is a better offensive player than Zepp Jasper. J- he needs to get his shots uh, earlier in the game than he did. It, Little things like that, just kind of the game was off from the very beginning, except for that early ten nothing run that Auburn went on. Uh, every other minute, except for that, A and M just kind of had an answer for everything, and Auburn couldn't really keep up. And now you've got to regroup. You've got to go to West Virginia, a West Virginia team that is kind of middling. They're a they're in a very tough conference. They've won a couple of games. They only have one conference victory, but every conference team they've played has been really really good. So it, a middling 
uh, West Virginia team that you're going to have to go up and face on Saturday. A uh, very big West Virginia team. I think of their major players, only one of them, or excuse me, none of them are shorter than 6'3". So they've got a really big team. Auburn might have some trouble with that, especially with their vertically challenged guards. You just need better offensive guard play, I think is the biggest thing. Uh, Wendell Green is kind of the only guy out there who's short, who can, you know, to be frank, short, uh, who can get things done. So I think if if you can get some contribution from other positions, and that's not to say that Armour didn't try. Chance Westry being uh, having a knee injury that has slowed things down. Yoan Treor was supposed to be a shooter. I understand he's not a guard, but he was supposed to be a knockdown shooter, and he has shown that he can hit threes. But he he still looks lost when he goes out there. He has not turned that corner yet. Uh, it, this may just be a season of a good, not great basketball team. And that is okay. You're still, like Brooks said, you're still on track to get into the NCAA tournament. The sky is not falling. And this team has shown that they can play better than they did last night. And I think they will moving forward. But uh, this is a loss that it certainly hurts, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and that West Virginia team, we'll get into a little bit more uh, in, in a, later in the show. Uh, they have uh, four or five players that are all uh, pretty equally impactful, pretty balanced team. Their technical leading scorer right now, someone Auburn familiar with from last year, Eric Stevenson, transfer from South Carolina, was getting into it with the uh, Auburn student section a little bit last year. He is actually uh, West Virginia's leading scorer by just a couple tenths of a point. But yeah, uh, the, this Texas A&M team, look, I, you know, I'll always talk about uh, the receipts sometimes, and I was wrong on this one. I thought that Auburn would still win this game. Um, I kind of just didn't really value enough what Texas A&M had been doing in conference and then what Texas A&M and Buzz Williams have been able to do against Bruce Pearl. Something interesting that I, I noted pretty quickly in last night's game, I think many of the beat writers pointed this out. I'm not sure if the TV broadcast or the radio broadcast pointed this out. Uh, Buzz Williams was looking at Bruce Pearl every single time Auburn came down the court to see what Bruce called. And once he saw what Bruce called, what play he called, he then called his defense. So Buzz Williams was so confident he knew everything Bruce Pearl ran that he would literally watch him call a play and then call his defense accordingly. That's how familiar he is with Bruce Pearl. And, and look, if I had a criticism there, you've got to see that as a staff uh, develop throughout the game and got to change some of the things that you're doing offensively. I noticed it a little less in the second half, and maybe that was just because Auburn started to get more stops and they started to get into uh, secondary uh, you know, transition offense and, and started to flow offense quicker. So there wasn't as many plays being called once you get stops and you run up the court like that. But uh, absolutely, Buzz Williams was watching Bruce Pearl call offense and then adjusting his defense to that. And that's – I mean, that, that – can't really happen. I mean, you got to correct that at some point throughout the game. Obviously, what Texas A&M came out with, the moment I knew that Auburn was going to have a fight on their hands is when it was 13-9 the first media timeout. Well, you say, wow, that's a four-point lead. Well, we know how that game began in the first two and a half minutes. 10-2, a huge transition dunk from Flanagan. The roof was about to come off the thing two and a half minutes in. And A&M immediately comes out and scores a couple straight possessions and looked unfazed by that 10-2 start. That's when you knew that they were not really bothered by being on the road at that moment. And they obviously shot very well in the first half. I think they started 6 of 9 from 3. 
and everyone says, okay, well, that's ridiculous, and of course they're going to hit everything. The rest of the game, they shot one of ten from three. It was not like they hit everything the entire night. I mean, Auburn played much better defense in the second half. They came out in zone. That uh, confused A&M. A lot of A&M's points came in the last four or five minutes, to be quite honest with you, at the free throw line as Auburn started to foul a lot uh, as they were trailing. But I, I think I, I counted A&M had 14 points in the first 12 and a half minutes of the second half. And so Auburn's defense got back into the game, gave themselves a chance, but Again, the reality here is Auburn is not a great offensive team. They're only in, eh, and then they but are. We knew that, and we knew that, and they are a bad shooting team, and we've known that too. But that's kind of what was going on last night. Uh, for all of A&M's shooting woes that we talked about, thirty-one percent on the year, three hundred and tenth or whatever, three hundred second, whatever it was, two ninety. Auburn's worse. Auburn was 29-9 coming into that game. They were 320 or so in the country in three-point shooting, and Auburn did not shoot well. They had several possessions in that game, down 9 to 10 to 11 points uh, pretty quickly in the in the second half. I mean, I would say from the 14 or 15-minute mark all the way to the 8 or 9-minute mark where they had several opportunities down 10, and they could not hit jump shots when they were taken. Uh, when you look at their two-point uh, percentage Auburn and AM were very similar overall from two uh, as a team. Uh, so Auburn was three of 16 from three, which is obviously terrible, but they were 18 of 33 from two. Texas AM, for reference, was 19 of 36. I mean, that's very similar percentage 18 of 33 from two for Auburn, 19 of 36 for Texas A&M. So when Auburn got to the rim, they finished at the really the exact same rate that Texas A&M did. Again, the difference, however, A&M hit those threes in the first half, and there was really no point in the game where Auburn hit any threes. And then a few more Auburn turnovers. I think uh, A&M won the turnover battle by four. And then a couple more offensive rebounds. And all that adds up. A few more threes, a few more turnovers, a few more rebounds. And that makes it uh, into... Again, I don't know if the 16-point margin was probably fair. I think it was more of a 10-point game. The free throws late added on. But all that added up for Auburn and just a little here and a little there. And and look, the, the, the tendency is always to go way too far one way or the other. During Auburn's win streak, oh, Auburn might be on to something here. Auburn might actually be an elite team this year. And now that they've lost, oh, Auburn is kind of fake and they're, they're, they're not that great and blah, 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 blah. As always, it's never never either extreme. At no point this year has Auburn looked like a Final Four team to me. They've never looked elite. They've looked good at times, absolutely. But also at no point, even last night, does Auburn look like a non-NCAA tournament team to me. They're not a bad team. So it's neither extreme here. And although, yes, of course, it's incredibly disappointing to lose at home, really the first home game you played since taking the nation's longest home winning streak from Gonzaga once they lost. Yes, that's incredibly disappointing. But the ingredients were here because of Texas A&M's history with Auburn and because Auburn, what got them in trouble is they couldn't shoot the basketball and A&M had a 10 or 15 minute stretch where they shot very well. And by the way, that happens even against good defenses. I thought, again, once Auburn went to zone, it was really good defense in the second half. But in the first half, A&M made shots, and guess what? That happens sometimes. So um, I don't know if you guys have anything to add here while we're talking about it, but uh, I want to, again, caution people with the extreme nature of either side of things that, yeah, Auburn's got real problems that's going to keep them from being a great team this year, 
but also Auburn in no way has problems that make me look at them and say, yeah, they're not going to accomplish absolutely anything. This is a bad team. I, I don't subscribe to that either. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at, like you were talking about, the turnover battle. Uh, that was a big factor last night. Auburn turned the ball over 13 times. Big part of that is Texas a got 16 points off of those turnovers. You talk about that 16-point margin, there's 16 points right there uh, is what Texas a got off the turnovers. Texas a turned it over nine times. Auburn was only able to capitalize that for six points off of those turnovers. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's it's a, the Auburn is, like you said, Ryan, Auburn is not a bad team. Auburn is still a good team. It's just, you know, you got some stuff to work on. We've known this. We've known they haven't been a great offensive team. We knew that going, you know, about midway through the non-conference schedule, we knew this team's not going to be the, you know, a, one of those Bruce Pearl teams that shoots the lights out. They're going to have to play in the paint a little bit more. And they did it effectively last night. They did it the same way as, uh, about, like you said, the same clip as Texas A&M did. It was just that three-point percentage, or that the, the three-point line. Texas A&M hit seven three-pointers three on the night. Auburn hit three. Three of 16 compared to seven of 19. Right. There's there's a lot of points right, left on the board right there. Yep. And then the four extra turnovers for Auburn. Again, a couple more offensive rebounds. Again, it just all adds up. It's a, it's a couple possessions there, a couple more extra possessions there, and then more productive possessions, obviously, with the three ball, uh, despite the, the two-point percentages being – very similar. Before we take our first break of the show, let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, Matt from Valley. Matt joins the program. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you guys? Doing well. Good. Um, hey, I just listen to everything that you say about the game and I've tried to watch Auburn objectively this year and just keep in mind that, you know, every year is not going to be stellar. Um, and I can't help but wonder uh, how much of, of our lack of potency uh, is due to, you know, maybe we put a few more eggs. What was the kid's name that went to the G League? I think we were kind of counting on getting him. Oh, uh, um, uh, there Scoot have been Henderson. a couple. Scoot Henderson, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I wonder how many – how many eggs we had in that basket, kind of assuming that maybe he was a done deal. Um, and then also, you know, you don't expect Chance Westbury to go down. And from all accounts, he's, you know, he's a game changer when he's healthy. So, um, but, you know, at the same time, you watch a player, uh, and I, I don't want to name any names. I'm, I'm not calling to bash anybody, but. You know, we have a guy that comes in the game that obviously marches to the beat of his own drum. Doesn't seem to really fit anywhere offensively. Uh, last year, we kind of took the good with the bad because he was extremely effective uh, defensively creating turnovers. Uh, but just really not giving us anything and and really getting some empty minutes and, and almost is becoming – what I see is a liability more than anything. Um, and I, but at the same time, I just wonder, you know, maybe we weren't planning on counting on some of these guys as much as we're having to count on them. Um, but, you know, is that a, is that a, Hey, we missed, or is that, uh, you know, maybe we didn't evaluate some of these guys as good as we thought we did, or, um, you know, I, I thought Westry would, would be back by now and, and contributing. Um, so I just, 
I'm 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 kind of lost between all of that and and what the real you know what what are we seeing what is what are, what are the issues other than we can't hit water if we fall out of a boat hmm. uh, whether it's behind a three point line or the charity strike we're not hitting anything sure um, but what's you know what what's what's the story with what's going on not not the stats not the you know how any specific game went but just the overall picture uh, maybe you have a clearer picture than I do of, of what we're seeing. Well, well, let's try and dissect it. So, you know, I think when you're talking about the recruits and we uh, appreciate that phone call, uh, Matt, I, I think that, you know, these guys that Auburn's recruited, they've been very, very highly ranked. Uh, we talked about Chance Westry there. Yoan Traor, I believe, was actually the highest rated in the class that, that Auburn yeah. just got in. Who, Se- second highest recruit second highest rated recruit in Auburn history behind sure. Jabari Smith. And and so I think it starts with these guys, not that they won't become high impact players, but that they're not ready yet for their varying reasons. Uh, Westry, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I know he played point guard this year when he has played a lot, but the dude's six, six, he doesn't strike me as a point guard. He strikes me as a two or a three. Yeah. Uh, and, and he shouldn't be having the, the ball handling assignments that he's had. So I think for one, they've asked him to do something that is, I don't think ultimately going to be his strength in college. Um, you look at someone like Yoan Treor and that being the highest rated prospect, it's not that one day he won't be a great college basketball player, but he's definitely falling under the category of he doesn't really know the college game yet to me. He's staying outside and he's shooting jumpers and that sort of thing. The kid is very long and athletic. He needs to have a game uh, inside the, the paint as well when you're that big in the college game and, and, and can do that sort of thing. And so I think part of it is – Last year, Auburn was blessed with a couple of guys that walked in here and were immediately awesome. Like Jabari Smith could play four years at in college, and he would not have gotten much better than what he already was the moment he stepped foot at Auburn. Uh, Walker Kessler had a year in the North Carolina program where obviously he did not play a whole lot, was behind a couple other guys that um, have, one went to the NBA, one's now the all-time rebounder at North Carolina. So he was already with a talented room, didn't get a, a lot of opportunity, and comes over here and booms immediately because he'd already had some good coaching. He'd already had a year in the college game uh, to kind of examine the big man position and then became this unbelievable shot blocker, rim, rim protector, great finisher with, with the few opportunities he had down low. And, and, and so those guys kind of boomed, whereas these recruits, while they're still really good, or at least very talented, they they need to understand the college game better. And so you look at what Auburn had returning, and maybe they did think they were going to get Scoot Henderson. Maybe they thought they were going to get a guy that would impact the game immediately, which obviously they did not get out of that uh, recruiting class. They had they did get a Janiah Broom, who has been incredibly impactful for Auburn. And the transfer, again, was in the college game, though, for several years. What's really interesting is, uh, you know, Auburn, some of their best players here are coming from the lower tiers of college basketball. Wendell Green Jr. was a guy, obviously, that at Eastern Kentucky. Okay, that's a that's a very small tier of, of Division One basketball. Again, with uh, with Moorhead State for Janai Broom. 
Even Zepp Jasper, although not one of the two or three most important players on the team, College of Charleston. All right, These guys are coming from not really being looked at as desirable or highly desirable college prospects. They've developed their game, and they're the better players on this team because they're very experienced in the college game. And they do have limitations, though, because they are guys, again, coming from, from smaller schools. That doesn't mean you can't grow out of it. There's still small success or big success stories from small schools. But in general, there was something, whether it be size or athleticism or shooting ability, something that limited these guys once upon a time from being the big-name prospects. And so those limitations become more glaring when there isn't that big-time guy beside them that makes up for that spot. Like They're not complementing each other the way you'd want them to, to complement. And so I think what it is is just more than anything, this team is still a good defensive team. They've got that part right. But offensively, they don't have a guy to fill the holes of the guys that once upon a time were lesser talented. And maybe that could have been Yoan Treor, and maybe it would be in two years once he develops. Maybe it could have been Chance Westry if he was in maybe a better role or, again, once he develops. But just they've not hit on any of these first-year guys immediately. Again, doesn't mean they won't become great players. I've seen many big programs get four- and five-star guys that did nothing their freshman year, and by junior year, they were holy terrors. So it's not like it, it's one-size-fits-all for the development process here, but just they've not gotten any instant hits, and so they've got a bunch of guys that have been college lifers that have improved from what they were but still have that limitation on their ceiling of, yeah, they're going to be good college basketball players, or obviously they've become good college basketball players, but they were never going to be the elite, elite guys that – are destined for the NBA or destined for the Naismith Award, that sort of thing. And so that's just kind of shown up on the offensive end when you go from literally the other end of that spectrum to Jabari Smith walked on the floor and was awesome already. Walker Kessler walked on the floor and immediately made a big impact. These guys are taking more time. And so these, these role players that have had to develop over time into more important players Again, they're the one or two things that they lack is more illuminating because they don't have that stud beside them. Anything you guys would like to add? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point in that Westry, Westry is a wing player, right? He's a two, he's a three. Uh, but he they brought him in at point guard because they needed more. They needed a scoring guard to back up Wendell Green Jr. Because Trey Donaldson is another newcomer. He's been good, but he's looked like a freshman. He's looked like an average college freshman. He has not come in here and let the world on fire. You expected Chance Westry to come in here, play wing, and be ready. Well, he gets hurt, or uh, he has to have knee surgery after Israel, and then you try to slowly work him back in at that one spot, and while the one spot's not really his thing. So he kind of falls behind and is now at the end of the bench. I think Bruce's plan is next year to play him at that wing spot and have Dre Donaldson develop at that point. You also have Aiden Holloway coming in next year, who, by the way, was just named a McDonald's All-American. Uh, so that's a big deal. And then you've got, uh, you, you, let's talk about Yohan Treor. Treor was a center in high school. That was all he ever did. Standing at 6'8", 6'9", he was a center. In At Auburn, they're moving him more to that four spot. He's a power forward, which is what Jabari Smith played last year. So he's not going to bang around on the inside because, frankly, he's just not big enough. He's a big guy. He can play inside, but he's not big enough to just put his feet in the paint. He's also too good of a shooter. So he's having to learn how 
he's a guy who has not played a ton of basketball relative to these other five stars that Auburn has gotten in the past, and also he's playing a new position that he's never played before, and he's making the jump to the college game. So he's going to have to take at least a year to figure all of that stuff out. And then you've got, uh, you know, I I think uh, Matt Matt doesn't want to name any names, and I I'm perfectly with him. I hate picking on individual players. But I think it's totally fair to call out. I'm pretty sure he was talking about KD Johnson. KD Johnson's regressed, man. He, he was pretty good his freshman year at Georgia. He came to Auburn, and like Matt said, you took the good with the bad because he was a psycho, but he was really good on defense, <laughs> and he was able to drive to the hole. He was able to make crazy layups. He could shoot okay from three. And as he's as he's as his time at Auburn has gone on, his minutes have subtracted, and he's not been as good. He has started to turn into a bit of a liability. He had a couple of just really silly fouls in about 10 minutes of action last night. Uh, a couple of turnovers. I think right after his and one play, too. Right after yeah. the best play he made of the night, he immediately turned around and fouled in, in, in the yeah. full Foul, court. Fouled yeah. at like half court. And just, it, and just he's pressing right now, and that's something that you don't want to see because when you when you are in a slump like KD Johnson is, and frankly the slump's been going on for a while now, and you're starting to wonder if it's more the norm than a than a uh, a – just what's happening at the moment. Uh, but I think it's totally fair to say that he's in that. And you have all of that mixing together. And then you have, frankly, a Texas A&M team that just out-physicaled Auburn last night. Uh, and I don't mean to say that they got away with a ton of fouls, even though I think they did. But I also think Auburn got away with a couple. The refs let let the both teams go a little bit last night. Yeah, and the I'm foul totally situation fine. ended up being even, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally fine with the way the refs called the game personally. Uh, it was just an ugly game for Auburn, and it was a great game for Texas A&M, and the, the final score reflected that. And I think next year Auburn has a chance to be better, but you're going to have to get some of these guys that were expected to contribute this year and have not caught up yet to finally catch up and be big-time players next year. One last thing I'll add before we go to break, too. I think Auburn, What's why that bit about these, these freshmen not having a bigger impact right away is more relevant is because Auburn had gone on a string – of those freshmen being relevant, starting back with Isaac Okoro uh, three or four years ago. He was a high-impact freshman. Even though the next year's team was bad, Sharif Cooper was instantly the best player on the team as soon as he became eligible from the NCAA. Man, he was instantly, right, instantly the best player on the team. And then and then last year, Jabari Smith, instantly good. Walker Kessler, I know he was a sophomore, but instantly good once he got to Auburn. And so Auburn went on a stretch there of three to four years where factoring into their most important players on the team were these freshmen. And so, again, you've got a five-star in Traor. you got a couple highly rated players in Donaldson and Westry. And, again, one day, I think at least – at least one, probably two of these three are going to end up being really good college basketball players. But Auburn needed one to hit early in their career, and so far that has not happened. And so that's where the hole on the team is. They've got some veterans. They've got guys um, that have played pretty well for their role, but they've not had any standouts, and they've not had that one freshman contribute in a big way early on here. We need to take our first time out of the show. Good conversation about Auburn basketball. Appreciate uh, Matt from Valley joining us there on the program. First time out of the show. More sports call after this.
Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Grant Daughtry with you here. Again, appreciate Matt from Valley there for joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. If you have a question or a comment today, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-889-TIGER9 and join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. And let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line now. Next up on the show today, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing? Well, uh, I'm still trying to recover from last night's brutal uh, fiasco of, uh, I guess, uh, it was a game last night, right? It was a basketball game that was played. And uh, you have my uh, uh, sympathies, condolences for having to endure that uh, game all the way to the bitter end. I, I promise it, it, I was okay. I, I, I made it. Well, I'm glad you made it because uh, I ran out of profanities uh, in the second half. Uh, guys, you know, we got buzzed. Uh, so speak, and I've been reading comments all day, uh, bloggers, and since you were there, Ryan, uh, see if you can confirm this for me or not, but a number of bloggers on 247 Sports said, someone who were at the game said that they noticed uh, during the pregame warm-ups uh, that there was a lack of energy, enthusiasm by the players. What did you notice about that or not? Uh, I, I, I mean, I can't say that I, I really noticed that. Uh, they they warm up on the other end of the floor, so typically I watch the opposing team warm up more than I actually watch Auburn um, just because of the nature of where press row is situated. I, I mean, I didn't really notice anything out of, the order, uh, out of the ordinary. I saw Wendell Green Jr. nail a half-court shot before he walked back into the locker room, and I mean, I... Again, not 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 that I was look really looking for it, but I, I didn't notice anything. I just didn't know since you were there. Did you see any, uh, you know, lack of energy or enthusiasm either before the game or, or during the game? Uh, I noticed at times that the team just, uh, for some reason, uh, looked lost. Uh, they'd hold on to the ball to the very last second, uh, and then uh, people would uh, just allow. Uh, the opponents of them to just you know punch the ball out of their hands, Jedi uh, Broom, Alan Flanagan, and uh, you know when you're playing at your home field, I would think lots well, of that kind of stuff should happen, but it happened, and so lost me was, you know, really I did expect it, but more more certain to me was the manner that we lost it in, you know, and this Radford guy uh, scored thirty points, right. 30. Um, and to me, it's a recurring uh, issue that I don't know if can be addressed or what can be done about it, that our guards have a difficult time, to say the least, uh, stopping high-scoring high, uh, uh, high, high point guards. Yeah, that that is a trend that is starting to occur here and being noticeable. And I think that 
You know, Radford obviously hit a couple of threes, but I think his penetration and really just Texas A&M's penetration as a whole is kind of what led to that breakout first half. Once Auburn went zone in the second half, I thought they defended incredibly well. And again, as I mentioned, A&M only had about 14 points in the first 12 and a half minutes of the second half. So that zone really corrected some of that penetration and some of those open looks that they got in the first half. But but certainly in that first half, a dribble drive for A&M was very effective. And layups seemed so easy for them and not for us. Well, I mean, I talked about the stat from two-point range, and, and Auburn was 18 of 33 from two, and A&M was 19 of 36. So they really were uh, the same inside of the three-point line. It was the three-point line, and again, an extra four or five turnovers from Auburn. That, those were kind of my key takeaways. And then we had a chance to make it into a competitive game at the very uh, uh, several times at the second half. We were down by eight points. Right. And then couldn't do it. And that and that's when Auburn's jump shooting came into play, and Auburn just couldn't hit a, a momentum three or, or jump shot. Couldn't buy a basket. Right. Uh, and that, that uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. And then I kept wondering, okay, uh, when uh, we got starting out of hand, when they had that, uh, what, 10, 12-point lead, I thought, okay, uh, sure, Coach Pearl is going to call timeout, stop the, uh, the bleeding, but he didn't do it. Uh, how do you explain that, guys? And I've never been a coach in my life. But I kept hoping, okay, he's going to call a timeout now. They're talking about more so in the first half uh, when when yeah. was hitting some threes. Yeah, right. yeah they they, uh, they they did not call one during then. I, I thought you could have after the – I think there was a sequence where they made three straight threes, so certainly after the third one. Um, you know, Bruce has always been a little bit more reluctant to call timeouts than other coaches, though. he's He's been on record before saying he wants his team to play through it. they got to play through adversity. Um, so, you know, especially at home when the crowd's not, you know, adding to the momentum. You you know, oftentimes on the road, a team hits a couple threes in a row and gets super loud, and, and that plays into it. Then you will see Bruce maybe call a timeout, but on his home floor – Again, despite a few straight shots going in, you know, I, I, I didn't. It didn't quite reach the level to me to say, "Gotta call a timeout." Gotta call a timeout. Some people do, uh, and, and maybe some people did last night. But I think being on the home floor is what factored in there. Um, oh well. Anyway, uh, it just seems like certain teams just have uh, Auburn's number or yeah, Pearl's number. A and M does. Yep. But it was one of them because I remember yesterday I read y'all. Uh, Bruce Pearl says his uh, coaching tenure here, uh, those um, uh, Texas A&M wins are the least amount of wins in the SEC. Right. Uh, I don't know what it is about that team, because uh, obviously it's not the same players every year. Correct. And not the uh, same so, coach. It was Billy Kennedy when Bruce Pearl got to Auburn, and, and now it's been Buzz Williams the last three or four years. So uh, I, I love your comment about uh, how Buzz Williams kept looking over Bruce Pearl. Does Bruce Pearl need to be alert to maybe have a clipboard by his uh, <laughs> face or by his mouth, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't really seen much of that uh, in basketball. Usually usually the stuff about signals and play calling is, is much more a football uh, worry. So, so to see that in basketball is much rarer. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to talk about the West Virginia game uh, tomorrow, but uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, sure that the, the outcome will be the one uh, I want. And on top of that, you know, this issue with uh, the point guards uh, of high scoring uh, guards are coming at them. We can't seem to 
find a way to, to, to remedy it and stop them. Uh, we've got some other people coming up. Oscar Shibway, right? Right. Uh, obviously some big guys like Shibway, um, you know, uh, Tennessee's got Brandon Miller, a pretty balanced team. Yeah. Bama's Miller is, is obviously more of a guard or a, a forward, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be some great, great players ahead for sure. Speaking of that, you know, if I was a Mississippi State fan, I'd feel really encouraged, although I'd mind the moral uh, losses, but, you know, uh, what they did last night, in fact, I thought they were going to pull it out. Um, did you watch any of the game? Yeah, we caught a little bit of it. It, it was a good performance last night. Uh, it was uh, Tolu Smith had 15 points last night. It was really good for them. Deshaun Davis had 14 points for them last night. It, it was one of those, It's you know, they, they had a good good game last night. Almost pulled it out. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, I don't know what they did uh, to come back because I thought, hopefully, you know, the Mississippi State was going to pull the upset. In fact, they were leading the entire game until the very, what, last two, three minutes? Yeah, they, they were actually leading at halftime 36-29 to 29 over Alabama, yeah. and then Alabama just outscored them by 10 points in the second half. So I, I applaud their effort. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, we got some NFL games coming up, don't we? We do. All right. Well, i got a trigger question for you. Okay. What is the coldest game in NFL history? Uh, I think it's referred to. Who I'm, played in it, or where was it played, or what was the temperature? Do you know any of those answers? I'm going to say it was the Ice Bowl. Right, that's what I was going to say. You know, I, I would have said the same thing, because uh, I saw that game live. Yes, I was around then. <laughs> but no, that was not it. Hmm. I was wrong. I saw it from the History Channel. I don't know then. The coldest game in NFL history was called the Freezer Bowl, and I saw it. Mm. It happened in 1981. It was an AFC championship game between who? The not freezing cold climate San Diego Chargers playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. It was a playoff. And do you know what the degrees was in that game by chance? Let's, let's, just, you guess? let's just go wild guess, like negative 10. Well, you're pretty close. Uh, it was minus 18. Okay. Wow. But that wasn't the kicker. Uh, if that was all it was, then the ice bowl would have won. But no, it was minus 59 degrees with the wind, wind chill. chill. Oh, man. That's, yeah, that's no why thanks. they call it yeah. the freezer bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and rough. Some of the comments I read here from some of the Bengals players said that it was so cold uh, it caused you know, a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, you know, frost coming in front of their face, you know, from their, 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 their breath. And they couldn't see in front of them to catch the ball. Wow. Wow. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Cincinnati ended up winning the game. But, uh, of course, they lost when they went to the uh, Super Bowl uh, that year. Mm-hmm. So, I saw that was uh, – and I can't imagine being a fan at 50, minus 59 degrees. Yeah, no, I don't know either. Uh, I think it's cold when it's uh, positive 30 or 49. So, <laughs> I don't know about going into the negatives there. And then they said, uh, by the way, it was even worse. It was an artificial field. Oh, rock so hard then. It was yeah. like hitting. Well, it was like hitting uh, concrete. Yeah. Yeah. And can you imagine what the football would have felt like as a receiver to hit to hit you? Not great. <laughs> Not great. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on real quickly, guys. I saw this pop up from uh, USA Today, and it was entitled "LSU Professor." I'm called, it's called a comeback, yeah, by Kevin Harvey. Harvey. If you haven't read it, you might want to read it. LSU professor sends a clear message to Brian Kelly and the football team. Have you read that column? Uh, we have not. Well, apparently LSU's football team accidentally, get this, accidentally overpaid one million. Coach Brian yeah. Kelly by more than $1 million. $1 million. Dollars, yeah. Wow. Did see that, uh, yeah. 
He did turn it back in, I hope. Uh, yeah, I hope. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably, well, but... This professor was a little miffed by this and uh, posted on Twitter. He said that uh, apparently there are LSU serfs and there's an untouchable royal family, talking about the football coaches. Uh, and he was going on about how apparently they got audited, his, his, probably his professor, about uh, their expense charges when they went to a seminar versus, of course, the, the head coach and of them getting all these kind of perks. So he was just trying to show the, uh, the inequity between uh, the education part of the LSU and the uh, athletic department. So I thought it was an interesting read. And then finally this one, guys, because you were talking about him, I said, who is this guy? You know, Mr. Irrelevant, right? Brock Purdy? Right. Well, this is an interesting article from The Athletic. You may want to check it out. It's really a lengthy article uh, written by uh, Andy Staples. Okay. We know Andy. And it's, and it's entitled, Which 2023 NFL Draft Prospect Would Repeat the Rise of the 49ers Quarterback? He has all these details about Brock Purdy and why he's done so well. Apparently, uh, one of the items he picks in here is that when he was – the uh, quarterback uh, at Iowa, was at Iowa State. Iowa State. Yeah. Uh, the coach there, Manning, apparently, who's a former coach, tight ends coach, had um, apparently taught him how to really do well at pre motion, uh, pre snap motions, and read snaps that most college uh, quarterbacks don't learn or learn it very well. But he did, and that was an advantage for Purdy uh, when going to the NFL team interviews. He said. So I didn't know that about him, that he knew a lot of uh, pre-snap motion uh, reads and how to do it. Yeah, and that is a very important part of identifying defense, yeah. And also they overlooked that he played against an atrocious offensive line for him, which is why quite often uh, in the tapes they saw that the NFL, I guess, managers or recruits or scouts saw uh, a lot of his you know, bailing out or running for his life, you know, and uh, throwing interceptions. And uh, anyway, he has a list here, uh, and I... I think you might be interested in some of the people that he mentions who might be the next uh, Mr. Irrelevant. As I will listen here, one of them being Max Duggan. But I didn't think he'd be Mr. Irrelevant, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, very undersized guy, so probably going towards the in, end of the draft. By the way, just another half minute or so, Steve, and we got to well, go to break. Uh, I've got nothing more to ramble about and make any sense about. Um, I, I, I know you guys think we should hopefully make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, right now, guys, you know, I know you say it's not the end of the world and it doesn't, uh, maybe, you know, we will need to over, you know, dramatize uh, the loss or exaggerate or magnify it uh, as well as uh, the wins. But I was just really disheartened at, at home that we, you know, lost this home game in a streak. But the only light, a lighter side I can say is at least it wasn't Alabama, right? Uh, that is true. That is that true. That is true. All right, guys, thanks for your time. I always appreciate the time you give me. Have a safe afternoon and evening, and um, look forward to talking with you guys tomorrow. Until then, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve. We appreciate that phone call. As always, that is retired War Dam Steve joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Out of time for hour number one, James from Montgomery will lead off hour number two. When you come back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, this is Sports Call. One hour of our show is in the books. 
We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two underway of Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, or the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy. I've got Brooks Childress. What's up? And Brant Daughtry with me. Howdy. Uh, great of you to say hello uh, as we continue on here with this Thursday edition. You paused there like you wanted us to say hello, so well, I, I obliged. Just, I wasn't going breathing. to. I wasn't going to, but Brooks did, and I felt like it would be weird if he said what's up and then you said my name and I just didn't say anything. Right. I mean, for all people would have known, you would have not been in here at that current moment. Absolutely. So you. Uh, you. The proved. last thing we want to do is cause confusion. No conspiracy theories here uh, about where where Brant was during the, the timeout. So. Uh, start of hour number two here, of course, talking all things Auburn basketball. We've got some other uh, topics in the sports world, including uh, Brian Kelly to talk about. Uh, I've still got to rant on uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame uh, voters for some. Oh, yeah. We haven't talked about that at all, have we? Um, that's still got to come up. I did research on Gary Sheffield that's uh, going to passionately argue about. And uh, much more coming up here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. But for now, let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-341 locally, or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, James from Montgomery. James joins us. James, how are you doing? I'm good, and War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I was just watching the game uh, last night between Auburn and uh, Texas A&M. What actually happened with Auburn? I mean, they were were doing – a really good one in the first in the first half of that game, and in the second half, they just all wheels fell off. I, I just don't know what happened. Yeah, they they got out to a hot start, uh, forced Texas A and M to call a timeout, and A and M after that just settled in the game. They hit a bunch of threes in the first half, and uh, they went on a big run the last five or six minutes of the half that really kind of changed the dynamic heading into the second half. I mean, they opened up a, a fifteen point lead there, so. Uh, yeah, just A&M got hot in the first half, and then Auburn just couldn't ever find uh, enough string together offense in the second half. Yes, that's why, because, I mean, with Texas A&M being a good uh, SEC team that Auburn actually played against, I mean, we, we might meet them again in the in the March Madness tournament. I'm not quite sure if that could be a possible thing for Bruce Pearl, but I think we just have to put this game – behind us in the rearview mirror and we just have to focus on this last game that we have for this weekend against West Virginia because I think last week I was watching the Texas Tech and West Virginia game and Texas Tech they actually beat West Virginia so um, I think this is going to be a really good uh, ticket in Vegas between Auburn and uh, West Virginia so I think Auburn might take this win on the road to uh, West Virginia as well. 
Yeah, actually, uh, West Virginia was able to pull it out last night over Texas Tech, 76-61. to But, you know, Auburn and uh, going back to Texas A&M, James, uh, Auburn will play Texas A&M again here in a couple weeks on February the 7th in College Station. So they will meet again this year. Yeah, so I think this will be um, – I think this will have to be like round one of round two. So I think the second time that we play against Texas A&M, this will be like the second part – uh, meeting Texas A&M in their home uh, stadium as well and actually trying to see if we're going to win on the road instead of losing a game at home. So I think with Janiah Broome, I think he needs a little bit more work on his um, arc on his jump shots as well to just get them right, you know, like, you know, right on the, on the um, backboard as well. Yeah, you know, uh, James, actually, you know, Janai Broom does have kind of a flat jump shot, and uh, he tries a, an occasional jumper. Most of the time we see that at the free throw line, and, and obviously he struggled a little bit from the foul line. So, uh, yeah, very astute observation there. Yeah, because, I mean, for me, as playing, um, I do love playing basketball, but if I was with Bruce Pearl's team for Auburn, I mean, they could put me out like, you know, set me out for like the second half of the game, you know, after the first half of the game is already in, like it's already done, then Bruce Pearl will say, okay, you're going to go out there. I'm like, all right, I'll show, I'll show these Texas A&M guys what, what Auburn is really about because I do have some uh, pretty amazing uh, tricks that I can actually do, you know, actually with basketball here and there as well. Do you think you would score a lot of points? Um, yes, I will actually score as many points I'll do offense and defense on the defensive line i'm really good on defense and then on the offensive side of all i'm really good with uh a lot of jump shots and i could do a little bit of uh trick shots in, in between those uh shots as well like i can actually uh bounce the ball from the back which is very good and i just shoot it you know just come out before the before the first half of the game is over i could just shoot step back and do a luca uh, Luca Dante's uh, step off, and I and I've been practicing that shot for I've been practicing that for a long time as well, and it works pretty good. Yeah, I, I would say so. Luca quite good at that, and so uh, Auburn could definitely use some great jump shooting. That's for sure. Yes, as well, and then um, you know on defense, um, if they need me to pass the ball, I can pass it like half like half of a of, of the length of a of a basketball court you know if i'm on one end and the guys on the other end i'll just toss it with with whoever catches it absolutely you gotta gotta get it quick in transition try and get a quick uh quick basket on the other end yes as well and then um i'm actually looking at this weekend's playoff game and uh seeing if kansas city um is actually going to make a a huge run uh this weekend against Cincinnati, but I think Kansas. I think this is a Kansas City team that I'm actually looking forward to, and I think this uh, Kansas City team. I'm looking at like a Super Bowl uh, Kansas uh, Kansas City team with uh, Jalen Hurts. So I'll probably see these two uh, quarterbacks actually go at it this coming up February in Glendale, Arizona. I'll probably say that Kansas City will meet up with the Philadelphia Eagles and. The winner for this one would be Kansas City. Okay, you're going with the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, both number one seeds to advance to the Super Bowl this weekend. <clears throat> Certainly possible. They've both 
played very well. Uh, the Eagles thumped the Giants last week, and everyone still wants to know about Patrick Mahomes' ankle. But again, I, I think he's going to be uh, definitely healthy enough to play. I don't know if he'll have the full range of motion, but I, I still think it's not going to prohibit him from playing quite well. Yes, that's well, because I know with his ankle, I know it's going to be not at 100%, but I'm not quite sure um, what um, what the medical staff is, what the medical staff team is going to look at. So I'm pretty sure that it's going to be um, probably around like 90, 95%. On, on his ankle, so I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna do good, you know, with his ankle being, um, you know, not 100%. But I think he has um, a lot of, you know, a lot of pain in his ankle. So when that time comes for that game uh, this weekend, I think he needs to just focus on the game and not worry about the pain as well. Yeah, I think once he, he gets into the game, as a lot of athletes do, they get a lot of adrenaline rushing and might become a little bit easier to move throughout the game. Obviously, high high ankle sprains are a little more significant than just regular ankle sprains. But again, I, I think Mahomes uh, is going to be still pretty close to his best this weekend. Yes, as well. And then I've been hearing a lot about uh, NBA fans are being upset, like for you know, like to actually missing NBA games live. You know, when players are sitting out and they're dressed out in regular. Uh, like regular clothing, I mean, that makes us as fans, that makes us feel, you know, that makes us feel like we're not a part of the NBA, um, like the NBA games to see one of our favorite players sitting out during the regular game and why can they play if they're, if they're, you know, if they're healthy or if they're, you know, what, what, what is that? I, I don't get that. Yeah, that is a, a growing concern in the NBA. Is star players uh, that are really loved by fans that are only visit a, a road city once or twice in a year, um, sitting out those games due to health concerns or just due to, to rest, load management, and, and all of that. And that's something that the league is increasingly concerned about. And, and something that, that really no one wants to see. Everyone wants to see the star players play, regardless on if it's a home game or away game. But some of those fans travel uh, hundreds of miles to go see their closest the closest NBA team host those star players like Steph Curry or like Jim, Jimmy Butler the other night. So it, it is always very frustrating and, 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 and sad for those fans that travel long distances to see their favorite player and then those guys don't play. Yes, because every time I'm watching like the NBA games, they always they always talk about the NBA All Star Game. We we already know it's coming, you know, next month. You know, don't just you know wait until that week or that month or that day of the event actually starts. Just I mean, for a lot of uh, sports commentators like uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, they always be bringing it up. You know, in the in like on TNT, if they bring it up tonight, they'll be talking about, oh, we're going to be doing the All-Star game. I already know that. And a lot of fans already know that the All-Star game is next month. I mean, it, it's just, you know, right around the corner. I mean, we have to wait very patiently for that as well. Yep, just coming up in, in a few weeks. And so I guess that's why they've uh, started to talk about it more. But uh, you being very aware, James, you are – 
you are correct that uh, it's coming up in a few weeks. And so you, we know that you don't need that reminder, but I guess we're just reminding some other people that maybe don't watch as much. Yeah, because it, it's just like with the NFL. I mean, you know, they always do like uh, promos for the Pro Bowl game and the Reese's Senior Bowl and the uh, East-West Shrine game. We already know that's going to be coming, you know, next few months, the week before the the Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's wide around the corner in like at the end of January. I mean, it's it's really for me as a sports fan, it's really hard for me to you know take in all of these uh, different um, sports events all at once. You know, just like with me being a NASCAR fan and many others out there, they're they're talking about like on uh, Fox Sports One when I'm watching the uh, NASCAR hub, you know, for, you know, like the upcoming season, they're always talking about the clash of uh, champions that is going to be out in Los Angeles, California. I, I know that it's going to be coming right around the corner as well, because I've, I've been, I've been a NASCAR fan for years and I know what is really going to happen. You know, it, it, this is a iconic historic event that's, that's going to be in Los Angeles for for as long as that Coliseum is actually going to be there. Yeah, I mean, the second year that they're doing this, so I don't know what their plans are in the future, if they're going to do this each and every year at the L.A. Coliseum or they're going to try to mix it up to other locations. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very cool event. Are You uh, You said you mentioned the uh, East-West Shrine Bowl. Are you excited for that one too? There's a lot on the calendar here. Yes, I'm actually in, I'm very um, excited for the East West Shrine game because this one um, is near and dear to my heart, and uh, this is one of the great games I've been watching for so many many years. Um, you know, with the NFL and seeing so many great players, you know, giving back to the community and uh, seeing you know a lot of people putting. Uh, their sides on you know on this big game as well and raising a lot of money for uh the shriners hospital for children as well gotcha gotcha well james do you have any uh final thoughts for us today um well my final thoughts would actually have to be is that i would um probably give you all some major league baseball uh postseason news when i get that uh up and ready for you all on friday as well Oh well, we look forward to that. Then we're uh, we're obviously going to be excited for baseball season to start here soon. Yes, that's all. And then I have some uh, history on the major league uh, baseball season uh, with all the uh, major league baseball teams as well. So that would be a really good um, uh, throwback uh, Friday baseball edition. Absolutely, throwback Friday tomorrow. We look forward to it. All right, sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on our Auburn Bank phone line. We need to take our next time out of the show. More sports call coming up after the break. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn 
This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday afternoon. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brand Daughtry. This sounds like the moment in a movie where the problem begins to get solved. That's just how, how I hear it. Again, I've told you many times this sounds like something familiar to me. Maybe it just sounds like some Lincoln Park. I don't know. But, Brooks, you enjoy it, too. Shia so. LaBeouf. You are their <laughs> only hope for the world. All right, Optimus. It, it does sound very Transformers, doesn't it? It yeah. does. Uh, so, uh, and I think there's another Transformers coming out. I think like they made the 13th movie. Or they, something they, like that. there is another one coming out. I this don't, summer, yeah. I don't know. I don't think. Hold on, I'm going to look it up because we have time. Um, See, I, Rise I of the Beast. I stopped watching after the first one with Mark Wahlberg. I don't know if. Um, Same, by the way, Brant. Michael Bay is not directing this one. Ooh. It's going to be, he is a producer on it, and he's still there. Don't worry, folks. But it's going to be Stephen Capel Jr. Oh, I was worried. It's going to be Stephen Capel Jr. That's going to be Cuba the Gooding Jr.? <laughs> Stephen Capel <laughs> Jr. Oh. And it's going to come out June 9th this year is the release date. Yeah, no, see, that's what happened. Usually half these movies I go and see in the box office are, are scary movies and suspense and all these kind of more niche movies. So I go to the the big, <laughs> the biggest of all uh, box office hits, Avatar, uh, the other week, and, or I guess it was still this week. Gosh, this week's slow. Uh, anyway, uh, earlier this week, and then I get all these summer blockbuster uh, previews that I'm not used to seeing. I'm used to seeing other niche horror movies or uh, things that will make $12 million in the box office. And uh, I saw a Transformer. I saw the, the trailer for the Barbie movie that's going to be bad. Um just as How a concept. You. Oh, is no. The, isn't Margot Robbie playing bo- uh, Barbie? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, she's going to be fine in it. I just don't know how a live-action Barbie Ryan, is. Is it Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling is Ken. Yeah. Pete Davidson is going to be a voice, uh, one of the one of the Transformers in this new one. Yeah. Let's go. Oh. Yeah. That's, that seems I, like I that's going to spell He's disaster. So I love Pete Davidson. Yeah, There's, but do you love Pete Davidson's voice as a Transformer? Uh, We'll see. <laughs> See, see, we'll find has, out. Has Ron Perlman been the Optimus Prime voice? It's been Peter Cullen. He was the original. I don't oh, know. hold on. R- uh, Ron Perlman is Optimus Primal. Peter Cullen is still Optimus Prime. So I don't know what the yeah, difference. They, there's is some here. sort if, of if you animal. Away with Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, then you're you're really missing out. The the, the from what I saw in the trailer, there's going to be some like animal bots or something. I I, I don't. Rise of the beasts. Yeah, I don't know. You said Brain only watched the first one. Have you kept watching them, Brooks? Yeah, I've seen all of them. I've seen all of them in theaters. In theaters. My guy. Yeah. How it, many are there? Um, there's Transformers, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Transformers um Revenge of the Fallen. Revenge of the, the Fallen. One. Uh there's the what's the one um the the 
Oh, what's the the prehist- They did the one with the dinosaurs. Rise of the Beast is that something? No, like that's that? the, that's this newest one coming out. They did one with d- dinosaurs too. Bru- I um, do not. The know, only so thing I have not watched is the Bumblebee movie with Haley Steinfeld. I did uh, not go and see that. I, had I forgot spin-off. about that one. So there's like five in there's the franchise. Been, I'm gonna then? say there's was there was three with Shia LaBeouf. There was at least two with Mark Wahlberg, and then this may be the sixth one. Jeez. No, this uh, is the seventh. Well, they, uh, seventh film in the installments. Age of Extinction. I'm gonna have Age of Extinction was the second Mark Wahlberg. We have to do research. Yes. If they're like the, the Last Night. I forgot about that one. Oh man, how There's many of seven? these were good? How many of these? That's were what I was about to say. Movies? Is I know they all make like four hundred million dollars at the global box office, but I, they, surely they're declining in rating. This is going to be the first one that uh, Michael Bay is not directing. But he didn't direct the Bumblebee one, but that's a standalone, like, separate movie besides the Transformers one. So you're still going to have Transformers Rise of the Beast this year. And then next year, July 19, 2014, they've already announced Transformers A New Generation is coming out. Let's go. And that is in production God right now. Me. That sounds like a, like almost a Disney Plus series. That sounds more like the name of a series than a movie. Uh, it's apparently going to be a movie. Brooks, you like the series, so I won't. I, I don't. Won't listen, that. listen. I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm. A, I'm. I'm a. I'm a huge fan, but it is. It's like I go there to watch robots fight each other. I don't go there for the story. The right. stories are just yeah. Like Cam. Eh. Cam, uh, Cam is listening right now. Uh, our good friend Cam Barry, who you heard on the show yesterday, and we'll hear on the show tomorrow, uh, does enjoy them. Uh, they, so. they were like it. It is. It is fun to go watch robots fight each other. It's like what was the movie um, Pacific Rim. Didn't care for the story that much, but you went and you watched the robots fight the giant sea monster things, sure. and it was I fun. S- that's that's another movie that's been on my list I have never seen is Pacific Rim. I've seen the first. I don't know if I've seen the second one all the way through. Yeah, but, again, this is just not my not my job. <laughs> but it makes hundreds of millions of dollars in, say, uh, globally. So uh, Overall, Transformers, the Transformers franchise has made $4.8 billion in the box office. So if we've Can't got like wait. seven or eight movies, we've got about uh, quick math, five hundred million per. If you've got eight movies, so the worldwide box office. I think so. it was Transformers, Ridge of the Fallen, and Dark of the Moon were the three with Shia LaBeouf, and then Age of Extinction and The Last Night were the two with uh, Mark Wahlberg, and then I guess Bumblebee they're going someone else. Count, and then now this is a seventh. All right, yeah. seven movies. All right. Well, if if uh, Fast and Furious can make 87 <laughs> movies, then we can get to seven or eight on some other is uh, big global box office. So hits. the next Fast and Furious movie I know is the last one. Aren't they doing it as a musical as well? If they oh, are, that's no. going to that's going to be something they regret. So hopefully not. Uh, like I think I read that somewhere. I don't know if it was a joke or if it was. That's n- there's no way that mu- musical does not fit what, what <laughs> Fast and Furious is. I'm sorry. That is that. What, what is Fast and Furious? It's changed like a hundred times. Action and cars and family. It was a racing movie. It was a racing series. Yeah, but now I mean, laws now you've are got broken. The rock pulling down helicopters. Right. Darn right. You got a seven-mile runway for a plane to take off. <laughs> what was that? That was like six or something. Five. They they were like chasing a plane down a runway, and it was like a ten-minute chase scene. You're like, no plane is taking off on this long of a runway. Yeah, how much money has Vin Diesel made off those movies, by the way? Gosh. Enough to last 10 lifetimes? Well, you think Vin Diesel has got that? And then I wonder, I want to know how much he's made off of uh, saying, I am Groot. 
Because that's been like, what, five movies now that he's been in with as the Groot character. And all he says, and, I am Groot. And look, all, and, something about Vin Diesel doing Groot as well, he records it in different languages. So every iteration of that movie has Vin Diesel as Groot. Oh, that's pretty saying solid those right there. as Groot, but in different languages. Hold on. Because it's so easy. Does he does he do like a million per language? Is that the the deal he does? Or I, I have like no idea what his deal is, but you you I'm sure he gets paid more for yeah. doing it in every language. According to Cura.com, Q U O R A. I've heard of it. Yeah. Fifty four million is what Vin Diesel is paid to say. I am. You've got Groot. to be kidding me. No, per movie. I don't know if it's per. There's moment. no way that's per movie for right, not look. even the lead actor. I'm gonna look. That's just ridiculous. I what, just no. <laughs> so my thoughts on that. No matter how good <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is, and Groot is no, fifty-four million per movie. No, uh, we've got to have some limits here for for a again very limited character. So, all right, uh, Brooks. While you look that up, all it's right. uh, we got to accomplish some things here. So let's do today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Today's birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on K Street in Auburn and the other on Frederick Road in Opelika. Let Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Today we got four birthdays. Vince Carter turns 46. Former NBA guard and forward selected selected fifth overall in the 1998 draft by the Golden State Warriors out of North Carolina. Out of North Carolina. Go Heels. There you go. And Sorry, was I was reading. <laughs> you, always, you always say the name, so I'll give Sorry, you a I was, second reading. Was traded on draft night to the Toronto Raptors. Eight-time All-Star, 2001 All-NBA second team, 2000 All-NBA third team. Was the Rookie of the Year 1999. Slam dunk contest champion 2000. Also played for the then New Jersey Nets, Orlando Magic, Phoenix Suns, Dallas Mavericks, Memphis Grizzlies, Sacramento Kings, and Atlanta Hawks. At North Carolina, Carter was 1998 consensus second team All-American, first team All-ACC. His number 15 is honored by the Tar Heels. Carolina does not retire uniform numbers. They honor them up in the Raptors. Uh, so Vince Carter turns 46 today. Isaac Okoro turns 22. Current, him before. current small four for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Selected fifth overall in the 2020 draft by the Cavaliers out of where, Brooks? War Eagle. War Eagle. 2021 NBA All-Rookie second team at Auburn. Okoro was 2020 second team All-SEC and All-Freshman team and All-Defensive team in the SEC. Isaac Okoro turns 22 today. Jack Youngblood turns 73. Former defensive end for the Los Angeles Rams. Selected 20th overall in the 1971 draft by the Rams out of Florida. Go Gators. Five-time first-team All-Pro. Three-time second-team All-Pro. Seven-time Pro Bowler. Led the NFL in sacks twice. Member of the 1970s All-Decade team. Was first-team All-American at Florida. And first-team All-SEC. Inducted in the Florida Football Ring of Honor in 2006. And is a member of the Pro and College Football Hall of Fame. Jack Youngblood turns 73 today. And Dan Bailey turns 35, former NFL kicker, went undrafted in the 2011 NFL draft out of Okie Doke State. Let's go, Pokes. Played for the Dallas Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings, 2015 second team All-Pro, 2015 Pro Bowler, 2011 Pro Football Writers Association All-Rookie Team. At Oklahoma State, Bailey was the 2010 Luke Rosa Award winner, 2010 Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year, 
Dan Bailey turns 35 today. Again, Vince Carter turning 46. Isaac Okoro, 22. Jack Youngblood, 73. And Dan Bailey, 35. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. All right, Brooks, research done. Yeah, I went over, uh, went went up to another website, tabsnation.com, which this article was posted in December. So this includes everything he's been paid um, for saying I am Groot up through the I am Groot series that was released on Disney Plus this past uh, fall. Overall, overall, for saying I am Groot in two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, couple cameo appearances. And Avengers it, mm-hmm. and I am Groot the the shorts fifty four and a half million dollars. That's averaging to mean thirteen million per uh, per film. Groot. Yep, per <laughs> Groot thirteen million to say I am Groot into a microphone. All right, let me try it. I am Groot. I, thirteen I, million. Yeah, I think so. Anyone out there thirteen million for me? I think what so. if I do it in a different language a little bit later? <laughs> Yo, soy how- Groot. Yo, soy Groot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, just ridiculous. Me amo Groot. Uh, some of these figures, man, and we have those in the sports world, too, uh, with these massive figures, which is a seamless transition to one this. topic that I wanted to talk about, which is how you misplace one-plus million dollars. Um, again, if you have to misplace it, why don't you drop it off here at Tiger Communications. Yeah. Uh, help. <laughs> Make the check payable. Here on South College Street. And um, if you'd like to lose $1 million LSU, uh, we'll promise not to give it back. Um, I I don't know how this happens. I don't know. Does, it, does any of the stories say who found the error? Because Brian Kelly couldn't be stupid enough to, to not think that he was getting paid more than he should, right? I mean, did he just did he say something? It was just honest, or was it, he trying to hold on to it? Or? The uh, Forbes dot com article says it was the Louisiana Legislative Auditor. Okay, so it wasn't even the school or Brian Kelly. No, they were they were being audited. <laughs> yeah, they and were. They found hey, you paid this man more a million more dollars than you said you were going to. So see if the school didn't report it. And Kelly didn't report it. Do you what my you know what my mind goes to there? It was a rounding error. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Again, rounded rounded a million dollars out of thin air. Um, nil exists. That's my that's my thought on that. Is uh, you never know where where that money goes, and uh, you know. I'm just saying. Uh, let's let's not be too naive here. Very possible. That was involved in some recruiting processes, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. You what? What was he already making? Like like eight or nine million? Well, he signed a ten-year, ninety-five million-dollar contract. Nine and a half. So he got a uh, little over a ten percent raise there, unbeknownst to the state auditor, I guess. Yeah, and unbeknown well, unbeknownst to the university too. Well, again, unless they. Uh, Unless they were throwing a little something extra his way on purpose. Yeah, the uh, nine and a half million before any on-field bonuses. And so I'm sure he got a bonus for getting to a bowl game. Sure got a bonus for the SEC championship. But base salary was 95 million. 
That's wild. When we uh, nine, 9.5 million. We, we saw that uh, Josh Heupel got a raise uh, just the other day. Uh, Shane Beamer got a raise earlier. Um, the SEC coaching salaries, and we're going to go over them in a future show and play kind of a little game uh, involved around it. But, uh, you know, I think that um, when we look at coaching salaries just continue to rise um, and, and just how how every school – I mean, what what was Hugh Freeze – is Freeze is what, six million? I think year? it's uh, six and a half. Six and a half million. I keep missing by half million. Um, that's like 10th on the SEC now. So – Ten, I mean, obviously, ten years ago, but even five or six years ago, you'd said six, six and a half million. That's a nice raise for somebody. That's going to make you a top half uh, SEC paid coach. And now it is bottom half of the league for six and a half million or so. Yeah, Gus Malzahn was given a raise to make him get paid seven million. Seven million. He was given a raise. Yeah. Now Hugh Freeze is taking over the job for six and a half. Right. And and it's not like you had to buy him out of a massive contract at Liberty. So it's yeah, the numbers keep going up. Yeah, br- but I mean the other thing is these TV deals get go, like the money involved. It's not just that you're paying the coaches more. The schools are getting more. The conference is getting more. The players are getting paid now. There's money coming in from everywhere, and you're certainly doing something with it. Yeah, I mean the the figures just keep ballooning, and uh, I don't see them going down for any particular no. reason. I no, not at all. I will put it that way. We need to take one final timeout here in hour number two of the show. When we come back, more Sports Call after the break. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Now back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Offrey, Brooks Childress with you here. Six or seven minutes left here in hour number two. Had a uh, fun show so far. I'm still reserving a uh, hour number three rant session. Towards the uh, mm-hmm. Baseball Hall of Fame. That will be coming up in hour number three. And if you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Join us on our Auburn Bank phone line. Again, we've been talking a little bit about uh, Auburn basketball after their loss to Texas A&M last night. Uh, Rough one for the Tigers at home. Uh, Unexpected in the fact that they kind of lost by a a healthy margin and uh, the the home winning streak is gone, but not unexpected if you look at it from the lens of Texas A&M has unexpectedly beat, beaten Auburn multiple times. They, they have uh, they've risen up and 
even in some years Auburn's been been clearly better, it's not really mattered, such as last year in the SEC tournament. So uh, that one definitely frustrating. And also, guys, I just think that it's the layer to it. That's literally the first home game that Auburn was playing uh, as the longest home winning streak in the country. Uh, Gonzaga had it for a long time because they had like a 70 or something game winning streak and Auburn became the longest and just immediately with the loss there. It was very frustrating. And, you know, it, it I don't want to say you felt that coming, but you kind of felt it. Like, you know, as, as soon as Auburn, at least I did, as soon as Auburn got that streak, you're like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> I'm just like, like Steve said, as, you know, we, we're an Auburn talk show. So when, you know, you boil it down to it as, you know, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners uh, would agree that, you know, for Auburn fans at least, it wasn't Alabama that did it or Georgia. If it was Alabama or Georgia, I think it would sting a lot more. But, uh, you know, Texas A&M, their team, like I said earlier, they're one of those teams in the Bruce Pearl era that has kind of had Auburn's number, and they, they usually play them hard. Uh, you know, I, I gave a few examples. Next, Texas A&M's one of them. Uh, Ole Miss on the road is one of those teams that always gives Bruce Pearl teams trouble. Florida always seems to give the, the Tigers some some difficulties. Uh, who else did I say? Uh, South Carolina every once in a while. South Carolina for a few years there. Uh, not the last two, but like there was a few years that South Carolina came. You know, would would play Auburn really really tough, and it was it was kind of you know you you kind of dreaded playing South Carolina a little bit because they they were just they were weren't great, but they were scrappy. And they kept, uh, you know, they they play Auburn really tough, and so it's, it, you know, it, it's one of those games like we talked about. Um, you, you know, Auburn Auburn played about as well as uh, Texas A&M did. There was just a couple things that missed they missed on, and one of the big ones was the the turnover battle. One of the other big one was the three point line, and Auburn uh, fell to Texas A&M last night. They got to get back up because it's a very short turnaround. You got you got practice today, practice tomorrow, plus travel, and then Saturday, right back at it in Morgantown, West Virginia, take on the Mountaineers. Yeah, the last rendition of the SEC versus Big Twelve uh, challenge before it becomes SEC versus ACC. We we talked about that with Justin Ferguson earlier in the week from the Auburn Observer, and if you missed that, go back and listen to it on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola. But we we were kind of asking him about uh, if he was looking forward to the the change of scenery in this in-season kind of crossover. The ACC Big Ten is what I believe started this. Uh, that that's what used to be the matchup, and it, and it has been for a long time. They have not discontinued it and continued it excuse me, until probably next year when the ACC and the SEC start doing it. But it was kind of generated because at that time the ACC and the Big Ten were – kind of the premier conferences it was kind of the one versus two and unlike in football you've got so many non-conference spots open it's pretty easy to kind of have a a crossover in-season event where you play all your top teams versus another conference's top teams and now over time obviously things change and although the ACC historically is probably the best conference uh, of all time in basketball the ACC the last three to five years has not quite been the same I think you've had a mixture of Duke having a few rough years Carolina having a few rough years NC State has not really contributed Virginia has been pretty good overall but a team like Louisville who historically is very good has been very down they are just utterly terrible if they played South Carolina this year I don't 
I don't know if you should watch that. We're gonna have to put like some sort of a uh, some uh, not safe for TV on that one. Your discretion is advised. That's just awful basketball. Louisville has I think two or three wins in the entire season. So I, I don't even know if they would beat South Carolina, which is just mesmerizingly bad. So um, the ACC has had some real struggles. So as Ferg pointed out, uh, you're going to get some really cool matchups with some basketball blue bloods in the ACC. Hopefully if you're Auburn and you continue to be towards the top three or four in the SEC. But the overall strength of conference in the ACC is not as good as the overall strength in the Big 12. So, alas, we have West Virginia here. They are a bottom-half Big 12 team because, well, six of the ten teams are ranked and ranked very highly. West Virginia is one of the four not ranked. But West Virginia is right in there with Oklahoma, and I think one other team has like two and six in the league. Texas Tech is the, is the winless team in the league. And so West Virginia very well may still make the NCAA tournament. I checked Joe Lenardi's bracketology earlier today, and before their win at Texas Tech last night, West Virginia was first four out. So that is a bubble team that is going to be very desperate to beat another NCAA tournament caliber team. And West Virginia's resume is just chock full of all these quad one games. Uh, I think I also saw somewhere else where they played the most quad one opponents or they're something something where they've just had a ton of quad one opponents so far this year so this west virginia team is just kind of hard to to gauge because they don't have this very impressive record but they've had to play about as tough a schedule as it gets i was going to say i was looking at this uh west virginia schedule here's some of the notable teams they've already played this year in the non-conference they played purdue they played florida okay played xavier who's a a good team pretty pretty good team they played uab Yep. Um, and then once you get to a conference play, everybody else is kind of a you know a mid you know shorter mid major. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you got to conference play, you've already played Kansas State. Uh, you played them at the good beginning team. of conference yeah, play. Very good team. The the I think the weakest point on their schedule this far is probably Oklahoma State. They're, yeah, they're one of those other two and six in the league teams. Yeah. Um, you've also played Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, and then Texas Tech. So they played all of them that are ranked them because yep. Kansas, TCU, Texas. And they uh, beat TCU too. Uh-huh. They've, they've beaten Tech and they've beaten TCU. And then you've got Auburn this weekend and then you get TCU, Oklahoma, Iowa State, and then the rest of the Big 12 as you go along. They play Iowa State twice coming up down the stretch. Yeah, it, it's a tough schedule for them. So I guess just the, the, the point of the story here, if you were talking about a bottom half ACC team, you're talking about playing like Boston College or – um, Pittsburgh, Syracuse. Pittsburgh, Syrac- yeah, Syracuse has been okay. Um, you know, D- Georgia Tech. Those teams would be certifiably not good. Teams that are not going to end up making the NCAA tournament. But you get to seventh or eighth in the Big 12, look, they're going to have so many of these quad one games. They might sneak their way in anyway. So can't take West Virginia for granted. Again, we'll preview them a little bit more in detail we go through here in the last day or so of the show for this week out of time for our number two when we come back one final segment with brooks childers and then we'll say goodbye to him for the day also a rant on the baseball hall of fame and a little bit of uh, start previewing the nfl uh championship games this weekend two hours in the book stay tuned for our number three in just a moment
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. KD, line of three, didn't take it. Top of the circle for Flanagan. Ten to shoot. Allen, he'll pop a three. Good. The SEC champions are back, and the only place to hear Auburn men's basketball is the airwaves of FM Talk 93.9. Tune in to every Auburn basketball game day for the Auburn Sports Network's coverage of Auburn basketball. Wendell inside the arc, free throw line. In the key, off the right wing. Three ball, Jalen Williams. Yes! Coverage begins 30 minutes before tip-off of each game. Inside the arc, back to the top, Wendell. Wide open three. Good. The only place in East Alabama to hear all the excitement of Auburn basketball as they make another run at the SEC crown is FM Talk 93.9. Brought to you locally by Auburn Bank, the Car Stereo Shop, Coca-Cola, Empire Petroleum, and Kenny Knox Tire Center. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call here on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brent Dontry with you here. We are. Say that one more time. Darn right we are. A little slow on the trigger. Mm. Brent, you're now able to say words. We're here. I'm starting to starting to slack a little bit here. We're here. You just don't want us to talk. It's fine. I understand. Keep talking now, Brooks. Oh, yeah, I, tried, I hear well, Ryan I pushing buttons. I don't know what he's I doing. Tried to, I tried to bait him into you, hearing, I, saying I, words. I words, looked so. up as you did it, and I thought about yelling. Yeah, and it could have been picked up in other microphones. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to raise my voice. Still would have seemed distant, <laughs> though, uh, and probably fair too for you not to. Want to get too high right there? So uh, if you're just tuning into the show, here's what you might have missed so far. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things... Uh, Brooks, what have we, uh, since your mic is on, yeah. uh, what, uh, what all have we done today? Oh, well, we've talked a lot about uh, Auburn basketball, their, their loss last night to Texas A&M. Um, we talked to quite a few of our callers today, uh, some, uh, a lot of great uh, insights and questions coming from the callers today. We love it. We'd love to continue to hear from you, 334-887-341 locally. Of course, one triple eight nine tiger 9 as well. Um, and then we also kind of dove into uh, we we dove into some Transformers talk, some of the movies. Yeah, uh, of course. Because of uh, the one of our returns, as Ryan uh, has pointed out several times, it sounds like a a Transformers Lincoln Park song that you know you would hear in the mid two thousands Transformers movies with Shia LaBeouf. Um, and we started to go through that because there's another one coming out in June, and then the, the which will be the seventh of the series, and then the eighth of the series, or no, the sixth of the series, and the seventh of the series is coming out next July, 
And so there, you got back-to-back years where you're going to have a Transformers movie, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to watch giant robots fighting. <laughs> and, you know, we've just had some fun on the show today. Absolutely. Also want to give a shout-out to our, our good buddy, Die Hard Die. We saw him out at lunch yeah, today. Yeah, we did. And about, good and, uh, he informs us that he listens to the show each and every day still, so we so, appreciate that. And he said he keeps, the, uh, our, uh, keeps us on in the garage, and when he hears our, our music come on or hears us start talking, he come, runs out there. Yeah. So, uh, so we uh, we appreciate him. And we need a time. Like we, I need to know what what his time is. Like if he's in the kitchen uh-huh. and he hears it in the garage, is he like? Is it thirteen seconds? Fifteen <laughs> seconds? I need. A, I need How a quickly time. it is yeah. to get out there. Not a forty time, but like the 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 forty feet time there in the you kitchen. Go. Yeah, absolutely. So we were uh, we were happy to see him out at lunch today, and we appreciate him. Uh, and his family for tuning in to Sports Call each and every day. All right, Brooks, you posed a question to me during the break, kind of along the uh, lines of the topic we were talking about with the SEC and ACC Challenge, which is going to start happening next year, of course, this uh, in regards to the current SEC and Big 12 Challenge that Auburn will be participating in against West Virginia this weekend. And so why don't you go ahead and uh, pose that question here uh, to us right now? Yeah. So what I was, you know, I was thinking about it. I, I was actually thinking about it uh, last night um, when I was, they rolled, I think during the game, they rolled a little preview clip for all the games that are going to happen in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And I started to look things up. So this is the last year, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And this was also the last year, the ACC Big 10 Challenge, because they're now forming a, I don't want to say it's an alliance because we last time two co- some conferences made an alliance <laughs> it didn't last very long, uh, but a, a deal with ESPN to air a, a, a this kind of uh, yeah, tournament same, thing, same time challenge. ACC SEC challenge. And my question is because you're ending two, you're ending the ACC Big Twelve, Big Ten, and the SEC Big Twelve. Which would you rather have it going forward? Would you rather have the the schedule? play out like the SEC Big 12 Challenge where you get into conference play about midway through the conference season you have that break where you play this non-conference slate of games or would you rather do it like the S- the ACC Big 10 where it's like after the Thanksgiving tournaments it's like in December right before you hit conference play that's when you're playing it this is a really good question because I did not have an immediate strong opinion of which means that there's food for thought and uh, over the last several minutes, I, I've tried to take one side or the other. I, I've kind of observed both because I've had a dog in the fight in both the ACC and the SEC, and so uh, I, I've seen it play out in the mid-December timetable, and I've obviously we've seen it play out here with Auburn in the uh, late January or so window. I, I think there are great arguments for both because I think on one hand, if you said you wanted to focus on conference play, and you you did not want to have any disruptions to trying and go towards a conference title and and that sort of thing and 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 have a game that may or may not mean a lot to you depending on who it actually is. I mean, if it's a top tier team, let's project this out to the ACC. If you're playing Carolina, you're playing Duke or maybe Virginia in one of their good years, then yeah, that game will be meaningful to you. But as stated on the other side of the hour. If you're playing Georgia Tech or, or with how bad Notre Dame's been as of late or uh, something like that, it, it may not mean as much to you. And now, granted, Auburn and Georgia Tech have some uh, geog- geography on their side here and used to be played in, in certainly other sports. So there's, that might be a little different. But, but the point remains, if it's a weaker team that is not getting any national attention, then it might just feel like a disturbance for you to, to leave conference play. Uh, however, if it's one of those 
Blue Bloods, then obviously that's always going to be welcome sight. I think I lean on the side of I like it being later in the season, and here is why. Not for a reason I just said, but I think you understand more the caliber of the team that you're playing. And while I just gave you an argument to say you can use that as a negative, you're playing a bad team, there's no big secrets on what this means. So uh, the the non-conference slate in November and December, you don't know a lot about these teams yet. We've seen teams in the SEC go one way or the other completely different from what they went non-con. Mississippi State was really good at non-con. They got ranked. They were undefeated for a long time. Guys, they're probably not making the NCAA tournament, Yeah. period. They're not that good. The flip side of that, closer to home here, Auburn just saw a Texas A&M team last night that, in the non-con, not destined for any sort of postseason tournament, NCAA or, or even NIT, to be honest with you. I think they're 8-5 and five in the non-conference. Not great. Well, they're 6-1 and one in the Southeastern Conference. They're on the verge of getting ranked. They're on the verge of being well within the NCAA tournament. Uh, very competitive in the SEC. They've got better, clearly. And, and, and so... I say I want it at the end of January because I kind of want to understand what type of game it is for Auburn. If you're going to break through and, and do something other than conference play, I want to I want to have a good idea of what that team is and what it might mean. I don't want to play Clemson December 15th with them number 19 in the country and beat them and feel like that's this big win and then they go 6-12 and 12 in the ACC. I want to play Clemson now that I see Clemson as a ranked opponent. They're still ranked here late in January. And now I know if I'm playing Clemson this late in the year, that's a quality win. Or vice versa, I want to know if I play Louisville in November, I think Louisville's usually worth a damn. I think that game might mean something for my resume, win or lose. Well, now I know if I played Louisville now, I know I'm playing one of the worst teams in the entire sport very uncharacteristic of Louisville basketball. So after all that, I want to know what type of game this is going to be. December, you don't know that yet. So I'm good with it in late January. I, You see, I had the opinion, after looking at it, I had the opinion that it should stay in late January. One, I like that uh, I, you know I like breaking up the conference season a little bit. You, I, I just looked at I went through and looked at all of Auburn's sports schedules for this year. There are only three varsity sports that Auburn sponsors that don't break up conference schedule. That's soccer, volleyball, and women's tennis. Every other sport has a non-conference game thrown somewhere after you start conference Good play. Good research, Brooks. And so it, it just feels, and I, I guess women's basketball too, um, women's basketball, but basketball and then those three other sports are the only ones that Auburn sponsors. Everything else has got non-conference games thrown throughout the schedule. Sure. And I kind of like that. I kind of like breaking up the the conference slate a little bit, okay, breaking up, give yourself, you know, a, a, a chance to not have to worry about the, your conference rankings. But I also do like that you've got a, a, a game there into January that could, like you were saying, could be a big resume builder. If you go into it and you, you know, say you get into the early January, your conference season's not going as you thought it would. And you're like, hey, We've got you know we've got some winnable game down the stretch games down the stretch, but if we you know if we knock off Wake Forest here or if we knock off uh, NC State here, that's a good resume builder for March. 
And it's like you said, maybe the team tur- turns out to, you know, not be a good team or it could, you know, you, you'd you rather beat them at a different time. I like the, I, I do like breaking up the monotony of the, the conference schedule. Yeah, I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head. You, you get to see what kind of team you're playing once they get into their conference. I feel like at the beginning of the season, it takes a little while to figure yourself out. So once you get into the meat of the conference schedule, you know what kind of team you're going up against. Ryan, you, you said it best. Louisville at the beginning of the year, uh, you thought they were going to be pretty good, and they've just kind of collapsed. They've looked really bad. Uh, and I think even at this point, let's look at Kentucky. Kentucky had a bad start to their conference schedule. They were really bad to start the conference schedule, and now they've kind of stacked up a couple of wins in a row. They look more like they've returned to form. And now whoever they're playing against has a has a much tougher matchup when if you played it at the beginning, you probably weren't getting Kentucky at their best. So now you're now that you have it in the meat of this schedule, you are <clears throat> you are more caught up on the type of team that you're going to play. And I I, <laughs> I hate to just blat- I hate that we all just blatantly agree because I feel like this is a really good one good one that we could go back and forth from because there's not really a wrong answer. I just think we all agree on what the right answer is. Plus, you know, I didn't think about this until you know started thinking about it. Um, when you're if you play SEC. ACC in like December, you're still getting overshadowed by college football and by NFL football. Mm, yes, there's still the yes. shadow of the college, the the football world is still there where people are more because like, you know, you know that Duke is playing Michigan State on that night, but you're you know you're not fully into college basketball season. Once you hit January, everybody is paying attention to basketball. You've got the NFL playoffs still going, but you know those are on Sunday. You know that like this week, you've got the in the championship games this weekend, but those are on Sunday, and all the SEC Big Twelve challenges by itself. This you know huge ESPN event on Saturday. Nothing is going up against it. It is just the it is just that basketball game. Those basketball games, and you're going to sit down at 11 a.m., turn on Auburn, West Virginia. And then you're probably going to sit there and watch it the rest of the day and all the way to the nightcap, which is probably, you know, what, Kansas and Tennessee or something, Kansas, Kentucky. It's I think uh, I think Kentucky's got Texas, so I think Kansas got Tennessee, yeah. So you're going to you're going to watch it all the way up until the nightcap cuz those are some big teams and big games. And yeah, you you're not going to have to be like, "Oh, I got to flip over to this bowl game or I got to flip over to this uh NFL game because it is being played plus once you get into conference, uh, once you get into conference play, it is on a you know more than likely it's going to be like the SEC Big Twelve where it's on a Saturday and you can sit there and watch all the games. Meanwhile, the ACC Big Ten Challenge is on a Tuesday and Wednesday night, and they shove all the games together. And so, like Saturday slate, you've got all day to like spread everything out. You can watch more of the games. The Tuesday and Wednesday night, you've got three starting at once, and you're you're trying to watch all three of them, but you got to flip between them. Well, I mean, I, I think that part of it, though, that they spread it out and that it is multiple nights. I mean, that like they still have, uh, for example, three games at the one o'clock slot, uh, two at the three, three at the five, three at the seven. So, well, one of the sevens, the Texas A&M and uh, Vanderbilt SEC game, but. Yeah, I think that. Uh, by the way, I did switch those. It's uh, Texas and Tennessee and Knoxville and uh, Kansas and Kentucky um, and in in Rupp. I, I I think that though that is a good point about football season versus basketball season, and the ACC kind of dabbles in both because they've had football success with the likes of Clemson and Florida State and Miami. 
that they've definitely got a football element to their conference, but their bell cows in basketball, Carolina and Duke and, and Virginia, not having really that football element to it. They, in the month of December, have moved on to basketball. They really move on to basketball uh, in November when football season's still going on. But with the SEC, I mean, I don't know if there's more than one or two schools that, that are like that. They're, they're all football-centric or football-oriented as the primary, and uh, you, you want those matchups to take place after football season is occurred. Uh, so I, I think that that's a, another – good point there Brooks because you don't want um let's just let's just be what it is Alabama and Auburn are, are really good and Alabama's having an awesome year this year uh, if Alabama's playing a big mid-December uh non-con game against Duke or Carolina which by the way they technically did against Carolina in a conference or in a uh, non-conference tournament this year that's not going to get as much attention down here as it would as if you move that game to late January and then you have a big matchup there, and, and same thing for Auburn, LSU, Georgia. I mean, all these all these schools. How do they? And this question: How do they determine the matchups for this for SEC Big Twelve? I don't know if there it's is not, a true. I'm going to say it's not order of finish because if it was no. order of finish last year. Auburn would be playing Kansas this year. Yeah, it, it, it's not. I don't think there is a, a methodology to would, it. Would I, you I, be in favor of that, though? Would you be in favor of in, when you go to the ACC-SEC matching up where everybody finished, like if last year's regular season champion versus last year's regular season champion, and then, oh, so, bless you, so on down the list? That's another good question. Uh, it's very, it's gotten Brant's airwaves upset. <laughs> um, I, I want to say that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm. I think that you guys would would take that route, so I'll be a contrarian here. I'll say no because I don't want it to. I I don't think that you can have that much constant nature to it, where you just are guaranteed to be great the next year, depending on last year's finish, uh, with all these one and dones and with all these portal guys. And I mean, you could argue this about any sport, but. In other words, I don't want to see the same matchup multiple years, and maybe this would even be more of a concern down at the bottom, and you just like always have, um, I don't know, Georgia and Georgia Tech. Although that again, that would have its own little connotation there. But um, I, I would prefer that they just guarantee they mix up the matchups every year. I, say, I want the same stratosphere. I'm not talking, hey, let's just throw, let's. Th- Let's throw Georgia to, to Duke. You know, I don't I don't think so. Or, or throw Vanderbilt and, and North Carolina. Yeah, it's okay. But uh, same stratosphere, but doesn't have to be guaranteed. Okay. But I mean, because it feels like Kentucky and Kansas play almost every single year in this thing. Tennessee yeah. ekes in there several, sometimes, but it feels like Kentucky and Kansas or Kentucky and, or Kansas and Tennessee are always playing this. So I wanted to look at this. If this was, if we just went by who you would play. If you finish, so like I said, Auburn would play Kansas, Baylor versus Tennessee, Kentucky would be playing Texas Tech. Uh, you know, every roll on down the list. One, the the one that I'm really intrigued by is how they finished last year, but they're really good this year. We would feature a matchup between um, Alabama and Kansas State because they both finished uh, ninth in the <laughs> Sugar conference Bowl rematch. Last year. Um, if Interesting. you if you switched it and we wanted to go, you know, wanted to preview, this is how it would go down in the ACC. It'd be Duke and Auburn, Tennessee and North Carolina, 
Kentucky and Notre Dame, uh, Miami and Arkansas, Texas A&M and Wake Forest, uh, LSU and Virginia, Virginia Tech and Florida, South Carolina and Florida State, Alabama and Syracuse, Clemson and Mississippi State, and then Louisville Vanderbilt. Ew, that would be disgusting. That, that would suck. Watching anything Louisville. involving Louisville this year would be. Uh, Boston College versus Missouri, Ole Miss versus Pittsburgh, and then Georgia versus Georgia Tech. There you go. Uh, and I, does the ACC have one more team than the SEC, or did I miss somebody? Uh, it should be because Notre Dame. Oh, true. Because uh, Notre of Dame is inter- in so NC State yeah. would have to find someone to play. I which li- that would not be great because you don't have even teams with those two right now. But when you get Texas and Oklahoma in, that's still going to mess up the conference a little well, bit. Yeah, but but you just every team in the because the ACC starts their conference play um, a week sooner. A week sooner, everyone gets gets a buy date or two. Oh, true. So you just add that. So into like, date. Uh, give you an example. North Carolina just played on Tuesday against Syracuse. They don't play again until uh, either next Monday or Tuesday. They don't play this weekend. So, the, so that would be NC State's buy. You could schedule yeah. out like that. Yeah. Let me throw out a crazy idea. Do it. What if instead of scheduling it at the start of the season, you schedule it the Monday of? <laughs> you, t- you, d- you match up based on ranking the Monday of. I understand logistically... It would be a nightmare. That's why I'm giving you a full seven days to plan it, or six days to plan it out. Why do we have to plan it out at the beginning of the season? Why can't we just match it up by ranking the week? We could even do it a week in advance. You know, I understand that's crazy, but I think look, it would. It's another reason to have it later in the season as well, because by then teams have kind of separated themselves. So I'll uh, I'll I'll let y'all roast that and tell me why it's a bad idea. Just uncertainty with ticket sales, probably. Well, yeah, definitely. I, I think you just need a little more leeway time than six days. You need a couple weeks. Um, you know, things get scheduled, if you think about it. Um, week out. Yeah, the NFL you know, playoffs get right. scheduled so, week out. So, I mean, you know, I I don't think it'd be impossible. I just – I don't know if it, it's – here's what I'll say. I don't know if it's important enough to have to worry about that length, you know, because you, you'd probably want to guarantee some, some sites of games um, – you know, I I, I don't That's know. I, I I mean, again, I just I don't know if it'd be worth that trouble because it still ultimately is just a an a in season competition. It's it's not yeah. for some big prize, but I mean, it's outside the box. And if you I got just wanted to throw something up, weird out there and see see if anybody could come up with reasoning against it. Yeah, I I well, you can you kind of mentioned the logistics part, but. Uh, it's not a horrible idea. I just think that's probably too much trouble to go for for what it actually is at the end of the day. All right, we need to take our, well, first time out of our number three. It's Whoa. been flying by. Uh, Brooks Childers is going to go help us set up uh, Auburn women's basketball over on FM Talk 93.9. Brooks, I appreciate you being here today, sir. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, Brooks. We will uh, see you again tomorrow. Yes, sir. And uh, myself and Brant will uh, continue on for the next half hour here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Don't want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm.
Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call. Ryan LaVoy, Brain Daughtry with you here. Final 20 or so minutes left of the program today. Uh, if you're wondering where Brooks Childress went, he's going to go help Auburn women's basketball get on the air. They are in Lexington tonight. 6 o'clock tip-off for that one. Britt Bone on the call. I will join the show. That's not a show. It's a broadcast. After this show concludes, and I'll have the halftime of that one. Auburn trying to put a win streak together in the SEC, fresh off a of victory on Sunday inside the Neville Arena against Ole Miss. All right, so a couple random items here, uh, and they are random. Hadn't mentioned this yet today, and now Brant just got some news on it or, or read something on it. So I don't know if, who saw this last night, but there was a some sort of like DoorDash or Uber Eats delivery guy uh, that wandered onto the floor at a Duquesne basketball game last night. The Dukes. Forcing play to be stopped. I think people said it was like McDonald's that was being ordered or something like that. And I, I it was just very, uh, very odd. I haven't seen that before. It was hilarious. But, <laughs> but Brant, apparently that was not real. Yeah, yeah. So the dude did not have permission to go out there on the floor. That was... That was real. So, like, they did have to stop the game and all that. But no one ordered there. It was a prank for a YouTube video that this, apparently a kid who's a student at Duquesne uh, organized and just kind of wandered out onto the court himself. It was a, it's it's a sad revelation because it's a really funny thing to happen. But knowing that it was, uh, it was staged just kind of takes away a little bit of that magic. It does. Uh, I. I, it's one it of those things so that like odd. it would only happen in small time college basketball. Right. You know, you'd never see that at like an NBA game. But I, I can I it was it's unfortunate that it was somewhat staged there because um that was uh that was hilarious and it started all sorts of questions of like you can how did he get in the arena and how did he not know that the you can't just step on the court? Like there's just so many questions. You're just dedicated to finding the seat, but not real. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, also want to do this because uh, the Hall of Fame announced its new member, singular, um, on Tuesday. And I we talked a little bit about it to the end of the Tuesday show, but I didn't get to do some research and, again, tell you the absurdities of, of some of this stuff. So uh, Scott Rowland, very deserving, going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, again, to be clear, this is not about – steroid guys because everyone has very valid opinions no matter how you fall on that end of the spectrum whether you believe that cheaters should just not get in the hall of fame period or whether they were elite players anyway that would have made the hall with or without them or you believe that they they were everyone was doing it so that they just were better at doing it than others whatever your opinion is there those are all valid spec sides so not voting bonds and clemens in whether I agree or disagree, that's that's not my target here. My target in particular here, and is by the way, it's not even a Braves guy because uh, we're going to have the turn of Andrew Jones either getting in or not getting in, and then 
I will um, raise holy hell that day too if he doesn't get in, and he should. Uh, he's won many gold gloves, was the best defensive center in the league for about 10 years, 50 homer a year, I think 400-something homers. Okay, that's Andrew Jones' resume. He should be in. But this one is about actually another former Brave. He was only a Brave for a couple of years. He's known for other teams. This is about Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield had his ninth year on the ballot this year, and he got around 54% of the vote. You've got to get 75% to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And for whatever reason, I've just been so befuddled why Gary Sheffield has not gotten into the Hall of Fame. He just struck me as someone that uh, was a feared hitter, a unique hitter, uh, played a long time in Major League Baseball, I knew the bit that he hit 500 home runs in career in his career. I just could not fathom how someone that has hit 500 home runs in Major League Baseball, and to all accounts, we have no knowledge of any any cheating going on. He did play in the 90s in, in uh, first half of the 2000s into about 2010 or so, but to all knowledge, uh, was not one of those Bonds, McGuire, steroids guys. And so I looked up the career numbers of Gary Sheffield, to, again, compare him historically. What does it mean that he's hit 500 home runs? What are some of the other statistics that Gary Sheffield uh, has in his career? Gary Sheffield in his career was a 209, or excuse me, 292 hitter. Solid. He had 2,689 hits. More than solid. So where does that rank all time? That is 70th all time in hits, which is not what he's known for, by the way. He's known for the homers. So Sheffield, only 69 players more hits than Gary Sheffield. Home runs, I mentioned it. Um, he had over 500 home runs, to be exact. Um, let me, again, get the figure here. I had uh, RBIs listed here because I, that's another part of it too because he was not just a home run hitter. And I think the 292 part of it illustrates this. Gary Sheffield, 509 career home runs. That is 26th all-time. That means only 25 players in a game that's over 130, 40 years old have hit more home runs than Gary Sheffield. And then if you say home runs are just one stat, they don't show you enough about a true player's production or they don't uh, actually give you the full measure of his uh, hitting prowess. Gary Sheffield in his career, 1,676 RBIs. That is 30th. All time means only 29 players again in the hundred and some years that baseball has existed. Only 29 human beings have more RBIs than Gary Sheffield. So he's top 30 all time in home runs in RBIs. He's 70th all time in hits, a 292 hitter. I don't know what the criteria are for these know nothings that continue to <laughs> treat the Hall of Fame process as some ludicrous measure of an exclusive club that apparently no one other than their favorite player of that period should enter. But if you cannot put someone that is top 30 in production in the history of the game, and that's what home runs and RBIs measure, is production, one of the 30 most productive hitters of all time, into the Hall of Fame, you are a moron. You are all those people. Are, should be ashamed of themselves for thinking that they are holding the, the gate key 
to some game that only a few people should share in. When they call it America's pastime, yet they want to celebrate as few individuals as possible for the history of the game. That does not grow the game, nor does most of Rob Manfred's dumb decisions for how to play the sport now or to market the sport, penalizing players for special cleats. We've seen that in the NFL, to be fair, too. But a lot of marketing campaigns that players themselves want to show more personality axed by Rob Manfred. And again, the game that was once the most popular in North America continues to fall further and further behind the National Football League and even the National Basketball Association because, again, of people like this that think they know a lot that think no one should be included here. Gary Sheffield's not some normal player. He didn't have one or two good years. He had multiple 30 home run, 100 RBI seasons over a career that spanned nearly 20 years. And why this random person am I going on this long spiel about? Because, again, he's not random. They like they would like for you to think that Gary Sheffield is random. The bat waggle was not random. The power was not random. The production was not random. Gary Sheffield is a Hall of Famer. Whether these people that don't even turn in their ballots at times think so or not. And I'm tired of this Hall of Fame voting process. Out of curiosity, I looked up the highest percentage of yes votes for every MLB Hall of Famer ever. In the history of Major League Baseball, there has been one player to be unanimously inducted into the Hall of Fame. That was Mariano Rivera in 2019. Totally deserving. Got 425 of 425 votes. Sure. But that means that guys like Derek Jeter, one guy said no to Ken, Derek Jeter. Yep. King Griffey Jr., yep. three people said no that to, was so stupid. to King was Griffey so Jr. Yep. Cal Ripken, Ju- Cal Ripken Jr., uh, seven people said no. Uh, excuse, uh, yeah, seven. Hank Aaron. There were a good number of people who said no to Hank Aaron, Tony Gwynn, Greg Maddox, Chipper Jones. And these are Babe Ruth did not get 100% elected in 1936. Good grief. It, it, Willie Mays, Carl so Yastrzemski, I can go down the line of these. 100 year problem then. All time great players, Roberto Clemente, all time greats, Wayne, Wade Boggs, Ozzie Smith, Pedro Martinez. I'm just going down the line sure. here, looking at all these names that, like, some people just said that guy does not belong in the MLB Hall of Fame. And if we're still dealing. With that, pro- if that is happening, clearly there is an issue because no one should be saying that Derek Jeter does not belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't care if you love the Yankees or hate the Yankees. I, I get why people hate the Yankees. I'm, I'm mostly indifferent to them. But if you're saying that Derek Jeter doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, and I'm just picking him because he's number sure. two, there was one person who didn't vote him in. If you're saying no to people like that, or Babe Ruth, let. Babe Ruth, seven hundred home runs. The Babe Ruth, seven people in nineteen thirty six <laughs> said Babe Ruth does not belong in the MLB Hall of Fame. That's ridiculous. The power That's hitters, stupid. The power hitters back then used to club fifteen, call it a year. Ruth's hitting forty. No. So I didn't know that. Rant. Thank you for illuminating that. Yeah, yeah. Jeter, for instance, thirty four hundred sixty five hits, a yeah. three ten career hitter, two hundred and sixty home runs uh, from the shortstop position. Uh, the hits, by the way, for Jeter. That was uh, all courtesy of baseball reference, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Derek Jeter, sixth all-time in hits. Uh, j- just the the continued nature Twelve people of them, said no to Chipper Jones. Probably the one of the two or three greatest switch hitters of all time. Yeah. I, I just, I can't, 
I can't fathom why these people still have a vote. I can't fathom. And, and we do this every year. You will get tired of me doing this because we will do this every single year. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. We will do this every single year because they will be wrong every single year. Tell me the sport that you are top 30 all time in multiple things that are good and you're not included in the Hall of Fame. It, it's Show it's it so me. exclusive. Bob Gibson, they had to change the game because Bob Gibson was so good. They had to change the, mound, the right? they had to change the mound. Yeah, they had to, to they raised the mound, didn't they? Yeah. They raised the mound because Bob Gibson or was no, they, so good. They would have lowered it, I think. I think well, either way, they, they, they changed yeah. the game. Yeah. They changed the game because Bob Gibson was just way too dominant and he only got 84%. Yeah, looking at all these names, how many people said no to these people? I, why why? In what world does the, do these guys not deserve? Why is it so exclusive that these particular players don't deserve to get it? I wish that if a guy gets in and you voted no, I wish you had to give a reason why you said no to him. Yeah, I mean, if you said if you say no to Barry Bonds, like I get it. You and I are kind of on the same page. Right. I I think the steroid era should have its players go in because. He, I don't care how strong you it's are. It's a painful part of the game, but it's still part of the yeah. game. And I, I don't yeah. care how strong you are. I don't care how much you bench press. It doesn't get any easier to hit a home run. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I like strength is a great thing to have in baseball. I'd rather have a guy who's strong than a guy who's a noodle. But steroids do not make your batting eye stronger. You know, right? Uh, and pitchers have always said they would rather they would have rather face those steroids guys than have them know what pitch was coming back yeah. when, in reference to the Astros cheating Absolutely. a few years ago. Absolutely. So, so it, I, it's weird to me that it's it's seen as this exclusive club that some people just are not fit to join ever. Right, no matter how great they were. And, you know, there's the whole thing about first ballot versus ballots down the line, and I get it. There is a, that's the way you kind of honor someone a little bit more. It's like Hall of Fame Plus if they're first ballot, basically. Yeah. Like, fine. But, again, some of these guys – the question I posed the other day is like, what makes them a Hall of Famer in year eight as opposed to year three on the ballot? No. Because, again, year one can be a little different. Fine. But what's year two, year three, year four? What, what Are you trying to devalue, trying to have ten tiers of Hall of Famers? Like you were, you're really just a year seven Hall of Famer. You're really not that great. There is no need for that. And, and Major League Baseball has plenty of flaws, and that is one of them, their Hall of Fame voting process. Is just awful. Brand, I want to give you an opportunity real quick since this is your last show of the week, just in, in 60 or 90 seconds here. Uh, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, no, complete change of pace here, but what are you <laughs> looking forward to this week in the NFL playoffs between these two uh, conference championship games? Oh, man. Uh, Chiefs and Bengals has got to be the one that I have my eyes on. Well, I, I mean, these are both great games. You're so high on the 49ers and the way that they've looked since Brock Purdy became the starter. I think Kyle Shanahan is the best play caller in the NFL right now. Uh, but the Eagles are so good. Every position is so good, and Jalen Hurts is playing at another level. But this AFC Championship game, I love the Chiefs. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL right now, certainly the best quarterback. Uh, but the Bengals just seem to have his number. I don't know what it is, but I, I, I love I love this matchup. I love Patrick. I love watching Patrick Mahomes. I love watching Joe Burrow. I think this is such a fun matchup, and I can't wait to watch either of the, both of these games. Yeah, they're both going to be really exciting. Truly, I mean, if, if we go ahead and say goodbye to Buffalo here now that Cincinnati did crank them, uh, truly the <laughs> four best teams in the NFL yeah, we need to Yeah, I think with. so. So uh, very exciting stuff going on Sunday. We as a show will continue to prove that tomorrow. Of course, uh, Brent 
We appreciate uh, you getting to be on the show, so we want to make sure we get everybody a little <laughs> turn at it. So even though we repeat some things twice, uh, this is, of course, Brant shows, Brant's last show of the week. So there you heard it there. Cincinnati and Kansas City, something to watch out for. One final break, a quick nightly TV guide when we return to this Thursday edition of Sports Call. The Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Final minute or two of the program. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brent Dodfrey taking you home here. Again, just another minute or two. Fun show today. A little bit of everything. Mourned a little Auburn loss to, to Texas A&M. <laughs> and uh, this, that, and the other. We'll have preview of Auburn, West Virginia tomorrow. Again, shortened edition of Sports Call tomorrow. Borgard High School basketball coming up on our airwaves after the show tomorrow. So we'll have a short show. And coming up after our show here in just a few minutes is Tiger Talk live from Baumhauer's Victory Grill. So you don't want to miss that. All right, just a minute or so left in the show. Time for the Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. 6 o'clock ESPN2, SMU, and Memphis. 6 o'clock on ESPNU, more college basketball, Longwood and Radford. More men's college basketball, 6 o'clock on FS1. Iowa at Michigan State, a Big Ten battle there. U.S. Figure Skating Championship, 6 o'clock on USA. That's a Brooks Childress pick right there. Boy, is it ever. Uh, and then Women's College Basketball, course, coming up in just a few minutes. Auburn taking on Kentucky. Kentucky's leading scorer is former Auburn Tiger Robin Benton. That's 6 o'clock on the SEC Network Plus, or you can listen to it in a matter of moments over on FM Talk 93.9 with Britt Bowen on the call of that one. And that is your Sports Call Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brant, thank you very much for being here. And uh, enjoy, I guess, tomorrow you'll be out uh, with Beauregard, so you will be on our airwaves, just not with the show. But Yeah, I, I will be showing up right here. I uh, get to see Tim Sin for the first time this year, and I'm very excited for that. And uh, thank you for having me today. A- absolutely. And we thank Brooks Childress for being on the show as well. And as always, we thank all those who tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Brant Daughtry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday evening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.